All right. As I was saying, we're going to have play on the middle Sunday scheduled for the first time. And uh, what's new with ESPN schedule is that on Saturday and Sunday of that weekend, the first ever live Wimbledon on ABC. In the 60s, there were three times that they showed taped matches, but this is the first live. Here to answer your questions about what to expect are ESPN analysts and tennis legends Chrissy Everett and John McEnroe. But before we get started, I'm sure you all join me in being thrilled that Chrissy's here and will be in London for the event she won three times. We're going to start off by letting her address how she's doing and what she's been through since last fall. After that, we'll conduct the usual Q&A, and at that time, we kindly ask that all questions concern tennis. Chrissy, as I said, it is great to see you. Thank you for your time today, and the floor is yours. Thanks. Well, I just um, I didn't want these questions to be about me once we got into Wimbledon, so I just wanted to address um, anything. Um, <clears throat> I have completed my six chemos, and um, I had stage one ovarian cancer, which was diagnosed in uh, December, had two operations, then had the chemo. And um, because it was stage one, I have a 90 to 95% chance that the cancer won't come back. And I'm just trying to right now get my strength back. But in the last eight days, I've had COVID. So it's like everything's one, one thing after another is being dumped on me. But I'm just I'm getting over COVID and not, uh, sort of unsure as to whether uh, when I'll be at Wimbledon. But um, I certainly am planning on it. So with that being said, um, I think we can start the questions. Dave. All right. Very good. Yep. Yeah, I'm here. Um, batting lead off. I mean, we'll go around the room. I think we'll get to everybody and I'll say who's up and who's on deck. And uh, to get things started, batting lead off is Amy Tannery at Reuters. Hi. Uh, thanks everyone so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, it's kind of a broad question, but uh, either for Christy or John, I'm curious uh, what you think we can expect from Serena this year. Uh, certainly a lot of hype about her return to Grand Slam tennis and uh, what we should all be looking out for. Well, I have no idea um, what I, I think you can't expect, a, you know, a whole lot because um, she's not match tough. Um, I, I think that when you don't play for a long time, you know, your instincts, it takes a while for your tennis instincts and your tennis IQ to come back. And it, it's really been hard for me to, to watch in her play doubles as not hard for me to watch her. She's, she's looking great, but it's hard to really assess how she's going to play in singles just because you see her playing doubles, the court, you know, I, I can't tell how the movement is um, from side to side, from up to back. The serve looks good. The power is there. Um, I'm excited for the tournament that she's playing. And I think it's great for everybody around. But, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a question mark. You know, all the other players are, have gotten better over the last year. And we, when you look at Sviantec and you, and you look at Joubert and you, you look at some of the players who are really, you know, can, can challenge the top or can win grand slams. So I, 
you know, I'm always thinking you just can't, you have to have low expectations. And if anything great happens, that, that makes it all the better. I would only say that I think she could lose first round or win the tournament. Terrific. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. I'm here. I was, uh, had the uh, button lost. Uh, next up, um, we will go to, where's my document? Um, Noah Ziegler at CableFax. Hey guys, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. Um, just out of curiosity, when when preparing to kind of cover this event, or you know, kind of going into this event, when did the conversations start in terms of how the, that ESPN can kind of make coverage different compared to previous iterations or previous years? And obviously it's going to be different this year because there's no capacity restrictions. And I know it did go back to it eventually last year, but just at what point do the conversations start when um, to kind of figure out, okay, what can we do differently? And what are some ways that ESPN is going to um, kind of make this year's broadcast, this year's coverage different than last year's? Uh, I, I, uh, that's a tough one to answer, but yeah. I would say that our, our producer, Jamie Reynolds, uh, you know, within the confines of what he's what he's can do is always trying to find something to enhance the broadcast. I mean, that's that's something that goes without saying. Um, the fact that it's full crowds makes it just better for the players and in general. Um, but I don't know anything off the top of my head that you could turn to and prioritize um there's methods that you could go towards like they do in the olympics where they you know do story you know do more storytelling so that the fans maybe get to know some of these younger stars better i mean i think that's something that's always talked about and obviously you're focusing on the players that have done it uh serena her playing is a boost uh the longer she plays the better it is um and that goes for you know nadal trying to uh win the grand slam so it's uh it's fluid um but uh i would hope given the situation with tennis where there is a, you know transitions coming that we definitely look for ways to improve the broadcast and 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 help the sport as much as we possibly can yeah, I mean, I think Wimbledon has some strict rules and we can't, there's no coaching and, you know, and other Grand Slams. That's always an interesting point. Um, I think that most of our creativity has to come within the creative company of ESPN, the production company, as John said, creating more profiles on players that you don't know. Um, trying to create new stars that way, trying to, to, to bring the players up to the studio for more interviews. Um, you know, this is all about the players and this is all about the getting to know their personalities so that players can, so that the, the public can root for them. Um, and I, but I think I, I agree with John, as far as Jamie's concerned, Jamie Reynolds, I mean, I, I think he's doing everything he can to try to figure out how to make this more attractive on TV. Thanks, guys. 
I know I'm speaking to Jamie here is uh, the buzzword that he uses for work is uh, a- uh, access and discovery. Get behind the scenes with the players. Get with them off the court. Make uh, get personality. Make you know let fans see their personalities. Next up, we will go to uh, Adam Zagoria in New York at uh, the journalism website. Adam, you there? I saw your cell phone was uh, connected. All right, we can move on. Um, let's go um, over to London with Josh Noble at the Financial Times. Hi, both. Um, thank you so much for um, taking this time. I've got two questions uh, for both of you. One is, um, Wimbledon is different this year because it doesn't have any ranking points um, and the world's men's number one isn't going to participate. Do you think that's going to have any impact on the tournament uh, and how players approach it? And then secondly, this is the first time in over 20 years that Roger Federer won't be on the court, as far as we know. He's been kind of the talisman of Wimbledon for a long time. Uh, How much do you think his absence will be felt? You know, Roger Roger Federer is a living legend. We we all know that he's you know the epitome of what you would you know want your kid to be when they grew up. So I've and he's the most beautiful player I've ever watched play. You know he I idolized Laver. He's like sort of an updated Laver to me. So, um, but you know he's. <laughs> 20 years, you got to look at the bright side. You know, you look at, you had a lot of time where you got a chance to watch this guy play and win it um, numerous times. Uh, So we have to sort of uh, hope that whatever he decides, he's happy with. Um, He's 40, you know, he's made it this far. It's amazing. Um, As far as your first question, I disagreed with the the All England Club uh, not allowing um, the Russians and Belarusians to play, and I disagree with the ATP and the WTA about not giving points for the tournament. I know it's a it, it's a horrific situation, and there's it, it seemed like a lose lose decision when they made it. There's not a lot of good decisions, but if you notice. In other sports and in other tournaments, they're allowing the Russians to play. Um, I don't get why at Wimbledon it was decided that they're not allowed to play. That's where the, you know, we're going to make a stand. Um, And you're asking them to denounce something where they're afraid if they do so that their family, friends or relatives could get arrested and thrown in prison for 15 years. Um, So that seems like something that you can't possibly ask the players to do. And then you take away the points. So let's say if Djokovic wins the tournament again, he's going to drop even further in the rankings, which makes no sense. Uh, the other part of your question is, will it affect the players at the tournament? I don't believe it's going to affect too many players at the tournament. It is Wimbledon, after all. It's one of ours, if not the biggest tournament we have. I mean, to me, it's always been the U.S. Open and Wimbledon are the biggest events. Um, it's just a damn shame that it's come to this especially when you you notice that Medvedev is ranked number one right now, of all things. 
uh, and that you have another player, uh, Andre Rublev, who's seven or eight in the world. You got a third guy who reached the quarters uh, last year at Wimbledon, Hotchinoff, and you got two Belarusians in the women at the top 15, I think. So it's just very unfortunate that it's come to this. I was sort of hoping that something would change before, but it hasn't. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen as far as what they're going to try to do with the points. I don't, I, it doesn't make any I don't know how they're going to you know, figure that out. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with the points. I think it takes away a lot from the tournament, um, the lure, the the importance of it. Um, the, although anybody, you, you still, you win Wimbledon, you win Wimbledon. Um, but boy, the, the taking away the points, um, I think hurts a lot more people rather than, than helps a lot of people. You know, I, 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 I'm conflicted with, um, the Russians, uh, being able to play Wimbledon. I, because I understand, um, why the British government feels the way they do. And I'm also of, of a mind now with all the carnage going on um, over there that at some point, we all the countries have to stick together, get together and, to, and um, take away any resource uh, that we are giving to Russia um, because I don't know, lives are being lost. And to me, that's more important than sport. You know, that, that is, we, we've got to really join together and try to stop this because this is bigger than anything. This is bigger than sports. It's, 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 um, it's death and that's the ultimate. And I'm, I just think, I wish we could join together more and, and try to take away everything we can from Russia until they stop doing this you know th this horrific act so i kind of can see that. so I, I i that's how i feel strongly about it I, I feel strongly about any country by the way who the human rights issues is a big thing now but any country whether it's saudi arabia whether it's china whether it's russia i mean to support them so that they can pull the wool over everybody's eyes by having some great sports events. Um, you know, it just, uh, it's, it's really, it's not right. It's not ethical. <laughs> Next. <laughs> We're good there. Okay. Let's go on. to uh, Ryan Glassby. Um, thank you, Dave. Thank you, um, John and Chrissy for making the time. Chrissy, it's great to see you here uh, you. looking, I think, mostly healthy. Um, the So I, I wanted to ask you about um, a couple of your tweets this past week um, regarding transgender women playing in sports. Uh, the first one, was about Renee Richards, where yeah, yeah. Um, you said that when you were number one in the world, you struggled to beat her. She was 43 and she said that if she had been 25, she would have wiped everyone off the court. And then 
in a different one, um, you were responding to an Olympian who said females are not small males with less testosterone. We are totally different sex with different biological challenges to juggle with training in life. We deserve our own classification in sport and absolutely not to race with opposition who we know have an unfair advantage, fair first. You responded, agree, so true, and facts to back this up as well. Um, what is your opinion on whether transgender women who were um, born as men and transitioned to women should be allowed to compete in women's sports? Is this a is this a Wimbledon question? There a question there? Well, yes. Um, the the so you competed against Renee Richards. Um, is that something that you? Okay. Well, you I'll believe- I'll answer it. I'll answer it. I'll answer this in a different way. I competed against Renee Richards when she was 43 and was not in shape as she, as she um, admitted and um, barely beat her in three sets. And I was ranked number one in the world and um, the wingspan, the size of the heart, um, the size of the lungs, uh, the speed, the fast twitch muscles, the testosterone. I mean, there's just everything pointing to the fact that men um, are quicker, stronger, et cetera, than women. And um, especially after puberty. So for Renee Richards, who I really admire to, to come out and say, um, now I think it would be wrong for me to compete. She said, because if I was 25, I'd wipe everybody off the court. Those are quotes that she has said. This isn't me saying them. And um, it, it, I, that's, that's all I'm going to say. There, there is, it's, it's, it's not about, it, it's not, it, it's just about the phys- physicalities of the body. It has nothing to do with anything else than the physicalities of the body. I support transgender um, very, very much. And my, you know, but at some point you have to look at science and medical medicine and science. And you have to look at that, look at that statistic, you know, rather than, Oh, wouldn't it, but it, it, wouldn't it be nice to include, you know, transgender into, into women's sports. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the answer. Sorry. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I don't know if I explained that. All right. Next, next up, let's go down to Florida. David Hyde at the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for uh, taking the time here. Uh, Chris, you, you first went to Wimbledon in 72. Um, and I'm just curious, take us back what it was like then. And what's your mindset going because of your journey now going back this year? Um, is it more appreciative or, or just different because of what you've been through? Um. No, every every time I go back to Wimbledon as a as a, um, as a commentator, I have a, a deep respect for not only Wimbledon but for the fact that I still can go back in a working capacity, and I feel very lucky about you know working for ESPN and and um, being productive over there and having having a voice as to you know how the matches are are going and you know how everyone's playing and just sort of to have a voice is, is, um, a real privilege for me. 
um, it's completely different when you go and, and you're a player because you're just, you're just thinking about yourself and your practice and, you know, your food and, and your matches and it's very self-absorbed, but coming back as a team, you can't be self-absorbed. You have to be a team member and it teaches you a lot about teamwork. Um, coming from an individual sport, it, it takes a little work. Um, and you sort of have to leave your ego at the door and, and you just hope that everybody does a great job on the team and you support one another. And, but, um, you know, just to see the changes over the years has been pretty, pretty fascinating. And I applaud Wimbledon that they've gone along with the times and, and, um, you know, they haven't stuck to being stuffy about things and, and no changes or whatever. They've, they've really been progressive and, and yet still kept the, the significance and the beauty um, and what makes Wimbledon so special. Um, so it's two different things, but um, I always get, you know, butterflies, whether I'm playing or whether I'm commentating, I always get butterflies going there. Did you just say what it was like your first time? Do you remember going there the first time? Well, I, I actually, my first time I played Whiteman Cup, Oh, right. um, which was um, America versus England. And we got to play at Wimbledon the week before. So I'm like, I, mean, I, would, I was like, yeah, you know, that would be great preparation. Um, I got used to the courts, the grass courts. Um, I remember, I remember, um, gosh, I remember a lot of things. I remember, um, I think I remember the tabloid press more than anything. Cause I, I, was so, so innocent going over there. I had no idea um, how the press were and how they would follow you around and how you'd be in the headlines every single day. And I remember thinking um, the first year they, they couldn't, the newspapers would always say they couldn't understand why Chris Everett wasn't a giggly schoolgirl out there because I was only 17. And uh, I was like, well, because I'm serious and because I'm, I keep my emotions in and that's the way I compete better. I mean, it was, it was interesting that they kind of dubbed me the ice maiden and Miss Little Miss Cool and, you know, things that probably weren't that flattering, but um, nonetheless, um, that's how images start. And I think that I, I have to honestly say, I think Wimbledon started the, my image, <laughs> unfortunately. Thank you. All right. Next up, uh, let's ask uh, Rory Carroll at Reuters, and uh, he'll be followed by Richard Agliero at Tennis Now. Hey, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Um, yeah. Um, for John, just wondering, you know, Novak is the number one seed. Do you think he's deserving of that number one seed? How strong of a number one is he? And would he, you know, would if there was Medvedev was in the tournament, would he be the clear number one? Uh, my my feeling is that uh, Novak absolutely deserves the number one. Um, he's proven to be, at least results wise, uh, up until this point, far superior player to Medvedev on grass. Uh, at this stage of their respective careers. Um, it's been a nightmare of a year for him. 
starting in Australia, obviously. He was one match from winning the Grand Slam and creating his own history. He's already going to be in the history books. Um, I believe he was, uh, you know, the whole deportation thing was absolutely, a, you know, it was horrible for him, but it was terrible, terribly handled. And it's, I can't imagine it didn't affect him or maybe it's still affecting him uh, to some degree. Obviously, with I believe it just mentally made it more difficult to focus on what he needed to do to keep at his highest level in terms of training and, you know, the intensity and toughness he brings mentally. And he's been trying to get it back, you know, so it's sort of set up at least for him now to hopefully – get his act back together i'm not 100 percent sure i mean i think he's a heavy favorite but i think there's opportunities for players that you probably wouldn't have thought could win it and also a couple of people that could win it um i'm not saying medvedev couldn't have done well because i think he's a great talent and he certainly knows what he's doing on hard courts as well or better than anybody. Uh, but he hasn't proven that on the other surfaces. I still wish he was there um, without question because his first initial breakthrough, ironically, was on grass. You know, and I thought he was too skinny. You know, you're like, wow, where's this guy's really skinny. But he's managed to sort of become a, a great player and it's a, it's a damn shame. But uh, Novak is... Uh, Hopefully, we'll play his best uh, because it would be a shame that this continuation of what this debacle in Australia would continue to affect him. And also, it's tough, you know, after the year he had to back that up. I mean, let's face it. I mean, it's pretty hard to do what he did last year and, you know, come up that one match short and not be somewhat deflated or make it more difficult to, to accomplish those type of feats again. Right. And Chrissy, uh, can anyone touch uh, Iga at this point? I mean, she seems to be on a whole other level than than the rest of the field. Who do you think could push her? Um, I, I think definitely um, Iga's the favorite, but I think when you haven't played a grass court tournament coming into Wimbledon, you only, you know, again, you don't, you don't really have that time to um, really get used to the grass. I, I think that takes away a little bit of it, the um, invincibility, the domination. So I wouldn't say she's dominant, but she is the favorite. Um, Ons, I don't know. Ons looking awfully good. You know, she had a great clay court season, didn't do so well at the French, but she's looked good on the grass. Um, she certainly has the adaptability, the variety. Um, she has that confidence of doing well last year, even though she got to the quarter, she had a tough match against Sabalenka. I, I, I just feel like she believes that she can win a grand slam now, you know, whereas this time last year, I, I don't think she believed it, but look, you've got, I mean, I think to win it, you've got to have an all court game. You've got to be flexible and adaptable. It helps to have a big serve, that's for sure, and power. She has all that. She has all that, and but so does Iga. So, um, you know, I think Jaber is about the only one that, in, in saying that, when I look down the list, because you look at, you know, Muguruza hasn't really done well. Radicano, we don't know about her 
Badosa hasn't, hasn't really looked great. You know, don't forget Coco. Coco has been progressing at a very healthy pace, very, very step by step, you know, very healthy. And she's been able to stay out of the limelight and improve her game in the process. But she's looked good the last, uh, gosh, she's looked good all year. And again, she has that big serve. And, and I think she loves playing on the grass, you know. So I don't know. I, I guess Chabert would be, to me, would be her biggest competition. Great. John, what do you think? Do you see anybody else there? Um, I see uh, unpredictability. Uh, absolutely. Um, I'd like to see a couple of these, you know, like Madison Keys. If I don't know, she just pulled out of something. Um, but, you know, she's I'd like to. <laughs> I'm I'm biased, you know. I think we should. Uh, I, I I would still put like I know Serena could lose first round, but I believe if she got something going, um, you never know. Never know. It's very open right now. It's it's very you know even like Anisimova, you know some of the young young. I think Coco's positioning herself well. Um, it's 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 very difficult to. See. Day, uh right now uh that's part of why it becomes interesting i think is because uh and uh, who's out besides sabalenka and and uh, azarenka there's has anyone else pulled out i don't know I no, but, but you know what makes it really difficult to predict is and I, I think you were saying around the same thing is every other grand slam you look at australia you look at the french you, i mean you look at us open there's just so many tournaments leading up to it and you, by the time these majors uh, come to fruition, every top player has played at least two of these tournaments and you know how they're playing. But when you look here, you know, Sviantec's not even, she's not even playing a tournament and, and Jaber's not even playing a tournament. A lot, it's very difficult when you play a tough, tough French season, you're playing six weeks of hard, you know, rigorous tennis. And then, you know, the top players need a break. They, they can't just jump on the grass and get used to it three weeks. They need a, they need to take a week to 10 days off really. And then slowly get back on the grass. So that's why Wimbledon to me is so much harder to predict um, just because of the lead up. There's not much lead up at all. Well, they have an extra week, uh, which we didn't have, uh, yeah. which I Good thing. Um, Djokovic has won it a bunch of times without playing. Serena stopped playing mm -hmm. tournaments. Um, she hasn't played in a year. You know, there's other players that are panicking, you know, maybe like a Sakari because she lost, you know, feels like she's in Muguruza. She's losing to everybody. Um, yeah. Is she, you know, yep. but some of these players, you know, Halep, uh, what, what's happened? What's going on with Halep? Well, she, you know, it's not that long ago she won Wimbledon. So um, she, yeah. In a better place, even though it hasn't shown in in, in the results so far. That uh, the young Chinese girl who played the great against Viantek, Zhang, uh, I think's her name. I, I in the round of sixteen, she played Viantek and right. won the first. I believe that's her name. I believe that she's going to be a, a great player. I think she's already a very. I, th I think she has the potential to be a great player. Yeah, she does. Like a, yeah. Right. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you. You're welcome.
Where's Dave? Dave, did you disappear? Did you leave us again? Dave's having a problem with his Zoom. Well, let me let so me. Next, let me, we'll go to we'll go me, to Richard. Pat, Pat, no, Richard uh, how are? Yeah, how are you doing, John? I, yeah. Thank you both for doing. It. I had two quick questions. First <laughs> is, um, you know, Rafa, Rafa going for the calendar slam. What's the biggest obstacle? And do you think he'll do it? And the second question: You were both brilliant tactical players. How do you react to the ATP's decision to allow coaching from the stands? You know, including the U.S. Open this year. How do you think that's going to go in terms of the whole? Do you think coaching is here to stay, basically? And how do you? I think it, I'm, I'm going to answer it first. Uh, Rafa's toughest one's going to be this one uh, to me because. If you go by what he said at the French, he was injecting himself, you know, in his foot during some, if not all of his matches. Um, and I can't believe that that you decide not to do that, or I'm not sure how he did it in the first place. And he's still able to win seven matches and look incredible. Right? I mean, the guy looked amazing. Um, I would certainly, if I was going for the grand slam and I'm 36 and I don't know how much longer I'm going to play, I'd start shooting that foot up again and try to get through Wimbledon in the open, but that would be me, but maybe he wants to play a few more years. And I, you know, he also talked about wanting to be able to walk when he had kids. So that's uh, a risk that no, very, you know, no athletes want to take. Um, and as far as the coaching stuff, I always thought the coaching is like BS anyway. Cause like, to me, most of the time, the player's not even listening to the coach. Um, and if it, it's funny, you could have a, a, a you, you see him yelling at him and screaming at him. It's your fault. You know, you gave me the wrong advice. <laughs> other crap. You're fired, by the way. I mean, this happens all the time. So to me, it's, it's comical. It actually adds something. If God forbids, you know, they said something that made sense. Okay. You know, was that going to, you know, I think pretty much every player on the tour has a coach now. I'm not sure there's any players except for Kyrgios that doesn't have a coach uh, in, in the men's or women's draw. So I I, I sort of like this idea of them, like, because yeah, they do it anyway. And then, you know, they'd sig they're like ba third base coaches in baseball. You know, they've got signals and who knows what the hell they're doing. It, it doesn't even matter ultimately to me, but that's just me. <laughs> okay, so so I let me get this clear. U.S. Open is has said yes to um, coaching. Wimbledon is still is a no, right? Right. They're going to start in July and U.S. Open, but it's not you can't go on the court. It's just no, I know that. Yeah, I know yeah. that. So but I mean, they've been doing it the last few. They've been doing it in tournaments this year anyway. Right. They're going to do it with the men, though, for the first time. The men are it's allowed. Yeah, I they, they you know, said they I, want I, to be consistent with the women. They want one consistent rule. That's what I, I, I just don't think that you could ever go back to no coaching or you get fined. I mean, who's, who's going to every, like John says, everybody coaches, everybody's got signals. It's a very sophisticated thing. Now, you know, you're, you're, you're going like this, or you're, you know, you're just, you're looking at your hand or, you know, every coach is telling their player um, something to do. So that you, you, you probably um, need to open it up a little bit more. I'm, I'm not against that at all. I think the U S open, they've always been probably the most progressive, um, the most advanced Grand Slam tournaments, and they're always introducing. I'd like to see interviews on the court in between sets with the players. You know, I mean, Coco, Coco Golf wins the set 6-1, and 
Pam Shriver goes up to her and asks her one question. What I mean, is that going to turn the momentum around to the and, and change the complexion of the match? No. I mean, I think the more we can think of these little things for entertainment for the the, the viewers and the crowd, I think, I mean, I think it would be fantastic. Um, so I'm kind of was in the establishment before, like, no, no coaching in Grand Slam. So you got to do it yourself. But everybody's coaching anyway. So if it's done in a restrained way, I'm fine with that. Yeah, thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Richard. All right, next up is uh, Richard Osborne with the U.S. Open website. First of all, you look uh, healthy and great, Chrissy. I'm going to say that. <laughs> you anyway, caught that, huh? <laughs> I'm going to put this to John, and uh, if you want to weigh in on this too, great. Uh, John, Medvedev's a guy you said you – you've liked to watch play in the past. He's unorthodox, plays a little bit like a chess game. I want to ask you about a different player who's also a little unorthodox in, in Jensen Brooksby. And this doesn't have to be a grasp specific question, but I just wondered what you, you thought of his progress and his potential. And he comes at it sort of a little differently than some other players. Yeah, he's a great talent. Um, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing on clay or grass, apparently. <laughs> he can't beat anybody. I haven't seen him play much. Uh, you know, I want to see him play at Wimbledon because I'm a little bit surprised at how badly he's doing at the moment. Um, I don't know the reasons uh, exactly behind it. I know his serve, you know, if he figured out how to serve, that would be a hell of, you know, because he's got some great hands. And to me, he's got top five talent. Um, and he's a great mover. So I'm not sure what's happened. I actually, you know, I'm coaching the Slaver Cup and I'm interested in having him on the team. But right now, you know, it'd be hard to sort of say, hey, I want this guy on the team when he's lost, you know, seven straight matches or whatever the hell it is. Um, you know, he just doesn't, I don't know if it's the movement, you know, I'm not exactly sure of his, when he grew up, exactly how much he played on clay, on clay and grass. And so that could be a learning curve that he hasn't developed yet, because I know it's been unorthodox his you know with the coach and i'm you know the, their approach i'm not sure what that is i've never actually spoken to him i've wanted to try to meet this kid and get to know him a little bit just from the standpoint of uh an interest level because i think he's one of the highest uh one of if not the most talented of this crop at the moment but um I saw that he's losing matches like badly, you know, uh, to players. And that surprises me. So, um, I'd be, it's maybe he just doesn't know yet about the, the, the grass and clay and he'll get back on track in the summer. But I truly believe that if a few things are ironed out with him, that he could be, you know, a top player and contend for majors. I mean, I, I, I I'm going to just, Put on top of that, John, because you mentioned the the, the footing. I, I think he's just plays better when he has solid footing, solid footwork. Um, when and I just I feel like he's um, just not getting off the mark quickly enough with on the clay, on the grass. He's not secure in his movement as much um, explosive movement. He, he, it's a lot easier in a hard court. So I think moving is something, and I and I think the adaptive. You know, and I talked about to be a great grass court player, you have to be, you have to have that adaptability and you have to have that flexibility and maybe lacking a little bit in, in those two. Great. Thank you. 
see if anybody, if we have time and see if anybody has any follow-ups. I have a couple questions from Howard Fendrich at AP, who wasn't able to join us right at this time. Uh, for both of you, Chrissy and John, you know, it's the 100th anniversary of Center Court. What stands out to you? Why it is unique and different, the big stadiums and other tournaments? And what is your strongest memory there? And it doesn't have to be one of your matches. Uh, I'm not sure what you said, uh, because you went in and out. Um, what do you love uh, about Wimbledon? What I love about Wimbledon, to me, I used to love when they, you know, the standing area. I thought that was incredible because it sort of was that way of bringing in, you know, the average Joe type thing. And um, that was very cool for a long period of time. Um, and then there's this, I don't know, there's something about it when I was a kid that it looked so magical on the TV screen. Um, and I was watching players like Chrissy and um, Bjorn Borg and others. And I was like, wow, that looks like the mech, you know, the epitome of where a tennis player would want to be. And there's that incredible, I mean, and then I finally got to play there, which was incredible. And they have this, they, they know the game. So there's this incredible silence followed by this great roar. I mean, that happens at all stadiums, but there's something even more so there. And there's no seat that's bad there. It's like a 15,000 seat stadium. And there's, there's something about that that's awesome, too. Um, so uh, it was more from the very beginning, seeing that, like, faraway land to, like, strive to get to and to finally get there. The, you know, they've, they, they've kept enough traditions. We used to have it. I, I'm sure Chrissy did, too, uh, when they carry your bags out, like the guy that was in the locker room. And so that was just sort of something like that was like, wow, that's sort of cool in a way. Just give this guy a little bit of credit for, you know, being there 52 weeks a year. And so there were certain things about it that just made it feel more special. And, and obviously now it's the only grass court tournament left in the world major. So that alone, you know, it, it looks alone makes it look incredible. You know, I always thought that Wimbledon was the only grand slam that was bigger than the players meaning i and i just think the players are bigger than the other grand slams but i think wimbledon is bigger than the players wimbledon has has boundaries you know women ha wimbledon has more rules the all white playing on a grass court um you know it, it the royalty that come and watch always adds some excitement the the fact that they open up the big iron gates in the morning to let people in. Um, and as John said, it's, you know, strawberries and cream and very, very, you know, um, sort of classy. But on the other hand, you see, you see tents on the sidewalks. People are, you know, just queuing to get in and spending the night in their tents. Um, I, the court is so different. You have such respect for center court too. It's like, it's, it's, um, un, unlike any other center court, because when you walk on it and John, I don't know how you feel, but when I would walk on center court in a final, it, there would be like a hush and like a, like a hush of, of reverence, of a tingling of excitement of something that was just going to, just going to 
explode any minute. And then sure enough, the crowds would explode. But you think about all the past, the former champions and the ghosts and the spears that that played on that center court. And I and I do that only at Wimbledon. I don't do that really at any other Grand Slam. So that to me was very special as well. I just take your breath away, don't I, guys? It's just so quiet after I speak. It's like Dave is astonished by our answers. He's uh, like know, a hush. <laughs> like like Wimbledon, right before, you know, it's like going into Wimbledon. It's total silence. But in this case, we don't appreciate it as much. <laughs> like, what did we just say that stunned the crowd into total Wait, silence? Can we, talk, can we talk one more? I, you know, I. John, you probably want to talk. I would like to talk about Kyrgios for a second um, because I've been watching him a lot since I'm bedridden with COVID. I've had a lot of time to just lie down and watch tennis. That's all I do now. Um, and I just see, I just feel like, I don't know, since Australia. When now went, you're going in and out uh, oh, uh, to me. Can you hear uh, me can now? Can people hear us? Or could, can you hear me, guys? I, 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 I can oh, hear you now, but before. Okay. Well, maybe I was yeah. too far away. I just I just wanted to say that since Australia, when he won the, the doubles and he had that match with Medvedev, I, I feel like something clicked in him because lately when I see him play, he's got um, – he seems more committed in his game. He seems more serious. Um, yes, he, we still see the occasional arguing with the umpire, but it's not happening as much. And he seems fitter. He seems fitter. Um, he seems like he has that belief in himself now. And, you know, we always said when everybody said, well, how come it's not happening? And he's lazy. And, what, you know, they criticize Nick. But it's like in his own time, when he wants it, it's all his. It's, it's ready for him when he wants it. So let's just give him the space to figure it out. And it just seems like that it's getting near to that time. Uh, well, God, I, I hope you're right. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it, it, first of all, it's you know, as, as as you watch it a lot, but it's a lot different. Best of three and best of five, not as much at Wimbledon, perhaps, but certainly at the other ones. And so, it, the jury's still out. Like you know, how fit is he? Uh, for example, he just pulled out of a tournament. Um, he played a long match. I don't know if it's because he actually injured his stomach or because he, you know, he, he had played for him a lot of matches, you know, recently yeah. because he hadn't played any clay court events since the tournament in Houston, which was like eight weeks ago. Uh, so who knows what he was doing? He looks to be moving better, which is great. Um, yeah. The bar was getting a little low for him, even though in terms of the training and movement, you know, he wasn't, you know, some of it is bad with um, the COVID and the traveling and being away. You know, he he likes to be home. I believe his mom was ill. Um, hopefully she's doing better. So I don't know if, how much that's playing a part. But, you know, Nick is obviously great for the game. So if he can go out and give that 100 percent effort, we'll we'll all be better for it, including well, mainly. And, and, and don't forget Berrettini. That's, I don't think we've talked about him either. I mean, he's won two tournaments for heaven's sakes. And he's again, well, he's second all, huh? 
when they make the draw, uh, you know, he's going to be the second favorite ahead of Nadal, probably. Uh, it depends, though. He's seated, I believe he's seven seed. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. But that means that he could play Djokovic in the quarters, uh, which would be unfortunate. Um, they played in the finals. Or he could play Nadal, but it'd be preferable if he played the other two guys, which would be, you know, rude seated, I think, three or four. And he doesn't have any grass court, you know, results or no. sissy. So I don't know what uh, how that works now. I, I see. I think Berrettini's eight, John. Okay, so eight usually plays one or two. It's like seven or eight plays one or two. Well, that means he plays Djokovic or Nadal in the quarters. So that wouldn't be good. Um, it used to be, and I don't know for this event at Wimbledon, that one could play, the number one could play five, six, seven or right. eight. But now I believe it's just seven or eight. So this is makes that draw even you know more important if that's true uh maybe dave who's gone on a siesta can tell us um or maybe he's just having um problems with his mic uh i'm here or John. maybe jamie uh, to get get things going at wimbledon get more you know things happening i just like him because i just i've been watching him that big the serve the, the first the forehand and the fact that he has rested even after that hand injury, he's all gung ho and he knows this is his best chance. I mean, he, he, especially since he did so well last year. So watch out for him. He's uh, you know, but he's got problems with his looks. He's not very good. You know, he's not real good. looking. <laughs> he's winning in that department. I think, I think he's number one. So, uh, it reminds me of when my mom used to talk about Adriano Panada. Oh, he's the most beautiful person I've ever seen. <laughs> they're and all they're Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's see if uh, David Hyde in Florida has anything else for us. Actually, I'm working on a larger story on athletes who have to fail at something before they can su succeed. And I'm just curious. Did you know it could be a shot? It could be a tournament. It could be uh, an opponent. Um, was there ever for, for you guys, was there anything you fail at so you could succeed in your careers? Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Mm. Well, well, I mean, I never, I mean, there are players that win their first grand slam and then there are players that have win their first grand slam four years later after they've been in fine, you know, I, I, for, to me, um, I guess, I, I mean, if you consider getting to the semis or finals of Grand Slams failing until you win, until you finally win a major, um, I like that. I, I never considered it a failure. I just considered it building on experience. I mean, that's about the only thing I can say. I Trial played Connors in 77 at Wimbledon. My first Wimbledon when I was 18. I didn't anticipate that I could, could win. I suppose anything's possible. Um, I was petrified when I got out in the court. My legs were shaking. Um, I lost the first couple sets, but it dawned on me as the match went along that he wasn't playing very well for whatever reason. You know, he wasn't playing up to the best of his ability. So I was like, I won the third set. I was like, oh, my God, you know, maybe this could be possible. And I felt like if that had happened to me at that time, that my life was going to change so drastically that I'm actually glad that I lost that. Not that I would have won. I probably would have lost anyway. But I ended up uh, going to college for a year and sort of uh, allowing myself just a year's time 
played some events, a bunch of pro tournaments, but allowed myself some time to remain an amateur so that that loss actually, I believe, helped propel me uh, to greater things in the future. And also the loss of Morgan 80 is, a, you know, even a better, possibly a better example for me because I came out of that with more respect from the, the players, the press, <laughs> fans after I lost. So like a lot of people come up to me now, they think I won for, you know, the match. I, I'm tempted to say I won the match because <laughs> they're like, what a great, it's the greatest match ever. You, you're unbelievable. And I'm like, uh, yeah, it was unbelievable. I lost, but, and that made me realize that I had to sort of get fit or dig deeper, find that extra gear that these great champions like Borg had to try to get on the same level as them. I think I think you you know along the same level um I can I can say losing to Martina 13 times in a row to me that was like you know call that a failure I, I don't know what else you would call it um after a certain time it was, I was so stubborn I kept playing the same way and I think that opened my eyes to okay you've got to you, you've got to, you've got to change you've got to change your game you've got to play outside the box you've got to do something that just t totally goes against your very being which was to be, you know, to be consistent and to get the ball back and wait for errors. And so um, I, I played, I learned um, how to come to the net and I learned uh, how to hit a bigger serve. And so, you know, failure and losses are, I mean, they, they should be good things at the end of the day. If you look at the whole picture, maybe not in that one moment, you know, it's not instant gratification, but if you can learn from your losses and even if they're tough losses and change a few things in your game, you're going to be a better player because of it. Great. Thank you. All right. One last one. We'll ask Rory Carroll if he has anything else for Reuters. Um, thanks, Dave. I'm all good. I think. All right. Richard Pagliaro, do you have anything else? Yeah, I was just going to ask, you guys touched on Coco earlier. If you had to pick any of the Americans to go to the second week, and you talked about Serena, I know Daniel Collins and Jessica Pagula are top 10 seeds. Who would you say, like, Corda, anybody could, you know, I'm not saying win the tournament, obviously, but just go yeah. make a nice run. Well, Coco, for me. Coco, for sure. You know, pick, go ahead. Go, go ahead, John. I'll just say, you go ahead. I, I would pick Coco also. Um. Obviously, it depends on the draw. I know uh, Anna Samova always she's she's dangerous, and and Jessa Pagula, on the other hand, um, is so just solid that and and has such a high tennis IQ. She could get to the second week. And I don't, you know, and and John as John mentioned, Madison Keys. I mean, she's got she. I always felt like she had the power that matched Martina. Martina, the power that matched Serena of any of the younger players. And she still can do some damage on the grass as well. We have a group, good group of, of American players. I mean, Collins and, you know, Sloan, who knows what's, you know, happening there. I mean, she can turn it on also. I'm probably forgetting something. I guess Coco would be the one for me to pick. Am I missing somebody? Mm. No, no. Okay. 
is Kenan, did she enter? Does anybody know? No, she's playing. I know she was, I, I saw her practicing down in Florida, but I didn't, she didn't know if she was going to play Wimbledon or not. I just didn't know if she had entered. But, uh, Chrissy, I look forward to uh, feel better, uh, obviously, for uh, these. Uh, I had it actually like I had it like seven weeks ago. You did? Yeah, I did for the first time uh, before the French. Like I got it a couple weeks before. Um, it about yeah, it wasn't too bad. It's just, uh, you know, you feel a little. I was feeling tired. I guess they give you something that's, you know, what I forgot the name of those pills, whatever they are, but they supposedly help. And I tested negative a week later, which was, you know, and then, you know, you don't feel that great for a while, like to me at least. So who the I hell know. knows what the hell's going on with all this? But anyway, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you'll be able to, if you don't have symptoms, you can come over anyway. You don't even have to take a test now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's my 10th day. So I think I'm clear after 10 days anyway. Yeah. yeah. If you're, if you've been isolated in 10, you're, you should yeah. be allowed to go out. You know, and so we'll we'll see you at Wimbledon uh, Monday at eleven. Uh, Doubtful. Doubt. I'm still in Aspen. Oh. I still have to get out of Aspen to go to Boca to go to. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. well. I've been sequestered here in Aspen. I, I look forward to seeing you uh, in, sometime during the first week. Okay, May the second. Thank you. <laughs> all right, I'm sure we all uh, second that uh, thought. Just uh, come in for the fun. I thank you all for uh, your time and your interest. If you ever need anything, uh, please follow up with me. And uh, I hope you're watching uh, starting Monday. Actually, the fourth and final day of qualifying is on ESPN Plus tomorrow at starting at 6 a.m. So again, uh, glad thank to see everybody. And um, thank you for your interest. And have thank a good you, day. guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good to see you guys. Y'all have a good one.